Well, really, really good morning to you all. It's so lovely to be back with you. Thank you so much for your kind invitation to allow me to come and uh, speak with you this morning, share a bit about the work of uh, the mission to seafarers. We will definitely be delving into this passage of Mark chapter 4 as well. Um, but let me just briefly introduce myself, uh, because for some of you I might be a familiar face, though be it a familiar face with a beard now. Um, but uh, for some of you, you might have no idea who I am, which is absolutely fine. My name is Dennis Woodward. Um, as Jan correctly said uh, many years ago, I was a member here, quite an active member. I once led the youth group called Impact. I was a kids' church leader. I was actually baptized and confirmed here, uh, as was my brother Martin. Uh, my parents were active members, and so for many years, uh, Trinity was certainly our, our home, our home church. And so this is really full circle for me. It's a great privilege and honor to be with, with you this morning, and not the least to just say a massive thank you to you in person. We've not done that well, I feel, but you have been very generous in your giving, not just in your financial giving, but in your prayers for our mission, the mission to seafarers um, as you support us as one of your mission partners. And thank you so much for your generosity, it makes a real difference, and I'll share a bit more about that later on. And hopefully in a moment we'll get some of those um, slides up as well. Um, a bit about myself is that I am married to my beautiful wife, Anik, have been for about 10 years. We have two children, a daughter called Tesso, six years old, my son, our son Thomas, um, Thomas is nearly three, will turn three next month, and so I think it's fair to say in our home there's a good amount of energy, um, and uh, we are absolutely blessed to have them, but during COVID, as I'm sure many of you can relate to it here, it's not been without its challenges. And to top things up, at the moment we are actually um, building a house, or the house has just been delivered, in Vlaimen, which is uh, just to the west of Den Bosch. And so yesterday I was just sharing with Jan, uh, I was covered in paint. Uh, and so we are at the moment trying to get our house, our new home sorted. So I will continue doing what I do. I am chaplain for the mission to seafarers in Rotterdam. I'm just making my commute somewhat longer, if you like, uh, but I think it gives uh, my family and myself some breathing space. We're very much looking forward to this new chapter in uh, our lives. And so there's a, a lot happening uh, at the moment. Uh, maybe a bit more about uh, what I do. I am a port chaplain or chaplain to the port of Rotterdam. Um, how big is Rotterdam. We all hear stories maybe every so often on the news about Rotterdam. Well, Rotterdam is by far Europe's largest port. The number two would be Antwerp. It is twice the size of Antwerp. Uh, we should rightfully be proud of having such a, a massive port here in the Netherlands. Uh, for many years it was the number one port in the world. It's got over 15 100 kilometers worth of pipelines. It's uh, 42 kilometers long, 126 square kilometers. Well, the stats just are mind-boggling. It's so big that you can't even put it into one picture. You need a satellite image 
to capture it. That's how big the port is. And so I think uh, the verse certainly comes to mind, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Uh, there are about half a million seafarers that come through the port of Rotterdam each year, 30,000 seagoing vessels. If on average you have 15 to 20 on board each ship, that's half a million seafarers each year in the port of Rotterdam. Um, the port of Rotterdam, every type of vessel comes to the port of Rotterdam, which makes my line of work really interesting. Containers, chemical tankers, crude oil, offshore supply vessels, general cargo, any type of vessel. And Rotterdam is particularly um, high uh, in throughput for what they call liquid cargo, so meaning oil and chemicals. And it really distributes across the rest of Europe. And uh, this is sort of the heavy air that you breathe if you're in the Europort area and you smell the oil, you smell the chemicals. This gives you somewhat of a framework. If seafarers come into the port, what's their perception? Well, this is what they see. Uh, 1,500 kilometers worth of pipelines and they smell the oil. Uh, it's nothing like the, the pleasant space we're in at the moment. That's just to paint a bit of a picture. If you're a seafarer, you come into the port, what is it that you see? Uh, if you're a container ship, you see more ships, you see cranes, you see containers. Um, I'll share a bit more about this later on, but thank you for your invitation. It's really humbling to stand before you uh, today. And again, thank you so much for your prayers, your generosity. It makes a real difference. We will be delving in, uh, and I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm sorry to interrupt your series on Acts. Uh, you have to forgive me for that, but we will certainly be delving into this passage uh, that was so beautifully read just now uh, on Mark chapter 4, and we all sort of have a Sea Sunday-style service together. Um, and in this passage, we see Jesus calming the storm. Now, when I was a young boy, I, and I was in Sunday school here, as it was still called at that time, um, 30 plus years ago, there's my age for you, 38. And so when I was here growing up, this was a story that frequently came by. I'm sure we all have heard this story many times, but I think there's some beautifully hidden treasures in the stories that I'd really love us to explore together this morning. And if nothing else, um, I, um, there's one key word. When I went to theological college, I, I trained at Ridley Hall in Cambridge, and we had a, a lovely American uh, New Testament uh, scholar who said, if, if, if you don't remember anything else from your three years at Ridley, remember this one word, context, context. And I would encourage you, whenever you read scripture, because we have one big narrative that you remember that word, is that we take these few, these six verses out today, but where have we landed? Is a good question to ask yourself whenever you read the Bible. Where have we landed in scripture? And so let me just briefly paint a picture for you because it gives us an insight into what's happening at the moment. Where are, where are we? Where have we landed in Mark's gospel? Well, we see that Jesus is very popular. Huge crowds are following him and they want to see him in action. And so we read that many people came to see Jesus from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around the Tyre and Sidon. And when they heard all that Jesus was doing, this crowd was traveled from afar and is now keen to see all that he is doing. So they've come to see him because they've picked up the news and Jesus is actually very 
popular. Don't forget that by now he's done quite a lot of miracles. And so they're keen to see Jesus in action, if you like. And so where is Jesus at the moment in our story? Well, Jesus is with his disciples. He's sitting in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. He's teaching a large crowd. And we read at the start of Mark chapter 4 that again Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into the boat and set it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And so at this point it's so busy, it's so crowded that as the message translation puts it, Jesus had to use the boat as a pulpit. It's quite a clever way, quite an inventive way of reaching more people. Imagine I'm standing in a shore edge and you're all crowded here. I can reach you better if I'm further away, I can reach more people. And so this is quite an inventive way of using the boat as a pulpit to reach more people. And so we arrive, that's just painting a bit of a context of where we've landed into our gospel passage for today. We've arrived at our passage in Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. Jesus is sitting in the boat. He's speaking to his disciples, this group of 12 intimate followers for the three, three and a half years that Jesus was physically on earth, those people who followed him closely. And so I'd like us to explore four key questions, I think, that arise from this passage that offer us hope, comfort, and peace in times of raging storms, not just for Jesus' disciples, but for all of us, I would argue, in this global pandemic with all its challenges and restrictions, and also, in particular, for those we also remember and honor today, the seafarers. And what's the good news in this passage that can help us when a furious storm arises? And so let's explore these four questions together. First of all, the first one has to do with change. Shall we go? This is a picture of uh, seafarers, four Filipino seafarers that I took in a uh, ship I visited. And as you can see, they're not really dressed in what you might normally expect if you visit a ship uh, in uh, their uniforms, their outfits, but they're actually packed and ready to go. It's uh, the, the party for any seafarer is the day they get to go home. Uh, most seafarers, uh, if there are uh, ratings, uh, they tend to be on nine-month contracts. It's very uh, normal. It's a long time to be away from your home and your loved ones. Uh, main nationalities I meet on board are Filipino, Chinese, Polish, Ukrainian, Indonesian. Uh, those tend to be some Dutch, some English, not many, uh, but many different nationalities that I come across on board. Here were four Filipino seafarers about literally their taxi had just arrived to take them to Schiphol and to fly to Manila in the Philippines. And so that's, that's a party in the life of a seafarer. It just gave me a chance to briefly pray for them as they set out to go. And so I had to tie that one with, shall we go? And they would probably answer, yes, yes, please, let's go. And so let, back to our passage, verse 35, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. Now, Jesus had had a long day of teaching, both to the 12 and to the large crowd that had gathered to see him. 
And so at the end of the day, in the evening, Jesus turns to his disciples. This is quite a, don't miss this. Jesus is the one turning to his disciples and saying, let us go over to the other side. It's not the disciples suggesting it. It's Jesus saying, let us go over to the other side. And this leads to our first question, shall we go? And this has to do with change. There's a change happening at this point. Shall we go? It's not entirely clear from our passage why Jesus wanted to go and change their current setting. Perhaps it was to escape the crowd. Let's not forget that, yes, Jesus was fully divine, as we'll explore in a minute, but fully human as well, and so he experienced fatigue. And so he might have been tired. He was keen to maybe briefly retreat, as we see him doing quite often going up the mountainside. But... Perhaps it was to expand his ministry on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We don't, don't know for sure. What we do know is that it was Jesus who suggested it and that his disciples, including several skilled fishermen, seafarers if you like, took him along just as he was. So they took Jesus along. Meaning that Jesus remained seated in the boat and they left the large crowd behind ashore. And so on that teacher's suggestion, these 12 followers and Jesus set out on a little boating trip, if you like, across the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus felt that it was time for a change. Now, seafarers have to deal with change all the time. They have a change of port, change of nationalities that they, different countries that they come Change of culture, change of customs and language, change of crew, change of cargo, change of hours, change of role on board, a change of contract. You were, this happened a lot, by the way, during COVID. major problem this time last year was that seafarers were unable to go home. And so when your contract was six or nine months, it suddenly became a year. I supported a Filipino seafarer who after 14 months was finally able to be reunited to his loved ones. That took a lot of effort to finally get him home. You might even have a change of pay. There are, um, just like in any business, there are uh, good shipping companies and less good shipping companies, good crewing agencies and less good crewing agencies who want to take advantage of those who are keen to work. And so uh, you'll have this in any business. And this is certainly no exception in the shipping industry. And so seafarers deal with all this change on a daily basis. And all of us, to some extent, are de dealing with change. Certainly now during COVID, as I look around, I'd love to see your face, but these are the restrictions that we have at the moment. Some of you might have changed jobs recently, um, and some of you uh, might have married, might have had a child. Those might be more drastic changes. Some of you have had maybe a less drastic change where your commute to work has become more or less. But change at times can leave us feeling anxious, can leave us feeling restless. Life is disrupted. We're keen for things to stay the way they are. And some of us here might feel today that we're at some crossroads, unsure of what the future holds, unsure of which path to, ch to take, and maybe even fearful of choosing the wrong one. And I believe that we're in good company because I think the disciples must have felt that exact same way in this little boating expedition. They followed their teacher 
their rabbi, and I'm sure they wouldn't have joined him on this little boating trip if they had known in advance that their life was going to be in serious danger, and yet they chose to follow him. So this is the first point. It has to do with change. Shall we go? And then the second one, love. Don't you care? Thank you. Don't you care? Verses 37, 38. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to his teacher, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And so happy sailing on the Sea of Galilee turned into a fight for your life expedition which the disciples uh, must have been really thankful for, and note the sarcastic tone, uh, since it was Jesus, again, it was Jesus who suggested it in the first place. He suggested that they go over to the other side, as we just explored. So that's great. They're in this mess at the moment because they had obeyed their teacher. They would obeyed and followed their master. And so the disciples were encountering a real crisis, had probably entered panic mode by now because this furious storm had arisen, waves were breaking into the boat that it was nearly swamped, as we read. The boat was filling up quickly, and we read in Luke's account of this story that they were left in great danger. They were left in great danger. So they followed their teacher, they were left in great danger. And by now, the disciples, including some very skilled fishermen, seafarers, were gripped by fear in survival mode, convinced they were going to drown in the Sea of Galilee. And again, just to paint a bit of context, we speak about the Sea of Galilee. It's actually sort of Israel's largest freshwater lake, known as Lake Galilee, Lake Tiberias. It's about 21 kilometers long, 13 kilometers wide, and the River Jordan runs through it from north to south. But due to its low-lying position, about 200 meters below sea level, um, and surrounded by mountains, Lake Galilee was and still is very well known for sudden furious storms arising. You've got the mountains surrounding it, low-lying area, and so a storm can arise at any minute. And so amidst this chaos, just imagine for a minute, of uh, raging winds, massive waves, water pouring into the boat, uh, drenched disciples who are yelling at each other, they're writing out their last wills, right? And so what is Jesus doing at this moment? We have all this chaos, utter chaos happening, fight for your life expedition, what is Jesus doing, right? We're here sitting, followers of Jesus, Christians, little Christ. Jesus is our model, and so we look to him to become ever more like him. So what is Jesus doing at this point? Jesus is asleep in the stern, which is nautical language for the back of the boat. And he's not just enjoying any sleep. There's a beautiful addition here. He's sleeping on a cushion, it says, on verse 38. So he came prepped. That gives extra neck support, right? He came prepped. And so that Jesus had physically removed himself from the rest of the disciples by retreating to the back of the boat asleep on a cushion. That's what Jesus is doing. All this chaos is happening, and that's what Jesus is doing. 
And what is astonishing is that his disciples certainly found it astonishing enough to wake him is that Jesus has been sleeping through this entire episode. As this is happening, Jesus is fast asleep. And so the soaked, fearful, and let's be honest, understandably upset disciples wake their teacher up and say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? They're basically saying you've handpicked each one of us, right? Jesus handpicked the 12. We've devoted our lives to you. We followed you on this little boating trip. Don't you love us? It's kind of an astonishing thing to say because we know if we fast forward in this gospel or any of the gospels for that matter is that Jesus loved them so much, loved us so much, loves us so much that one day he would lay down his life for them and take it up again. That's how much he loves us. And so here they're saying, so don't you care? Don't you love us? Now seafarers can feel like this. Life at sea is often quite a lonely and difficult uh, job. Like I just shared, uh, nine months away from home is quite a normal thing for most seafarers. can be quite dangerous with antisocial hours woken up through the night, get four hours of sleep. Uh, you have these shifts, four on, four off, six on, six off. Get woken up out of your sleep, away you go again. Danger of shipwreck, piracy, particularly in the Horn of Africa, still a very real thing. And so their profession, including fishermen, is rated the second most dangerous job in the world, only surpassed by underwater welders. And so being a seafarer comes with certain dangers. Some of us sitting here today might feel like a storm is raging in our lives. Nobody seems to really care or understand what it is that we're currently going through. And I, I think we're in good company because I think at this point the disciples must have had that feeling. Don't you care? Why is no one paying attention? Why isn't our master paying attention? And we'll see in a moment that Jesus decides to respond with just what they are uttering. He's lacking. He responds with love and care. We'll see that in a minute. He doesn't let his disciples drown. He doesn't let you and I drown. He deeply loves us. That's the second thing, love. Don't you care. Thirdly, has to do with trust. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Again, three lovely Filipino seafarers. Uh, one of the privileges I get to do when I'm ship visiting in the port of Rotterdam as I go on board ship. I am kitted out with all my personal protective equipment. I go on board, say hello to seafarers. Uh, at the moment, also with face masks, keeping a distance. I'm not really going inside at the moment, sticking to the gangway, which is that bit that goes from shore to the top of the ship, the, the ladder, if you like. Uh, and here were three lovely seafarers who were keen um, that I prayed for them, and I, I really love that. Uh, I always take that opportunity, and then I said, do you have a Bible? Uh, which they didn't, and so I was able to hand them uh, a New Testament from the Gideons. Um, which they absolutely loved. And so one of the things I get to do is pray for seafarers, um, tell them about Jesus, hand them out Bibles, but also ask them a, a question, how are you? When did you last speak to your family? 
Uh, do you have Wi-Fi on board so that you are in contact with your loved ones? Do you get shore leave? Are you allowed to leave the ship and go somewhere? Which is a big no at the moment, by the way. No seafarers at the moment, at least in the port of Rotterdam, is allowed to go ashore. Um, so you and I will leave the service after it, drive home. Seafarers will remain, they sometimes call it their steel prison. And so they will remain on board their ship and they're not allowed to come off at the moment. These are COVID regulations. Normally that would not be the case, but at the moment they are not allowed. That's not a Port of Rotterdam thing, by the way. That's a shipping company regulations for fear of catching COVID. The whole crew would get it. It's a disaster for any ship. And so they'd rather be safe and they're saying no one gets off. This was before COVID, and so uh, these one uh, seafarers were allowed to have some shore leave, but I was also able to just ha hand them a Bible. Back to Mark chapter 4. Where's your faith? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus' response to his disciples rebuking him is not to rebuke them. So the disciples rebuke him. Don't you care? Basically saying, don't you love us? But Jesus says is not to rebuke his disciples, but say he will rebuke the wind. He's rebuking the wind and the waves. And so a very human Jesus, who until moments ago has been enjoying this beautiful, peaceful sleep in the stern, on a cushion, he now shows his true divinity, Lord and Master of all creation, as he gets up, rebukes the wind, and says to the waves, quiet, be still. And we often think of it, quiet, be still. I think Jesus only has to whisper the words. And it's enough. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And so suddenly the Lord of creation is standing amidst the disciples. And Jesus turns to them and says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And so this leads to our third question, where's your faith? This has to do with trust. And that's what we, are, as Christians, we put our trust in Jesus. That's what faith is about. We put our trust in the person of Jesus. Do you still have no faith? And Jesus' response to his disciples indicates that the twelve should have had faith rather than fear. If the Son of God, the Lord of all creation, is beautifully asleep, astern, in, on a cushion, what should we be doing as followers of Jesus? We look to him as our model, as our guide. But let's be honest, that feels near impossible when a storm is raging. And seafarers often find themselves far away from home, often sailing to countries where they don't know the customs, they don't speak the language, they don't know the culture. They're experiencing every type of weather. I came across a story the other day, uh, which was a tiny uh, general cargo vessel's vessels um, go as, as big as 400 meters um, at the moment. Uh, you me might have recently picked up on that story where one was trapped in the Suez Canal. That's as big as they get. I've, I was able to visit that ship, by the way, um, not 
in the Suez Canal, obviously, but before. Uh, but that's, yeah, container ships are up to 400 meters. But this was a tiny 80-meter uh, general cargo ship that I visited. Um, and a, a ship that size on the North Sea feels every wave. And so the captain told me, it was a Polish captain who told me that they had experienced 12-meter waves coming into the port of Rotterdam. And he had, uh, his chief mate had filmed a little bit and uh, showed me on his smartphone. And uh, everything on the bridge is going, banging from left to right, left to right. And it's astonishing and gave me an even better insight. Every time I speak with them, I get an even better insight in, into their context, into their daily reality, into, yeah, um, last August we had such a warm summer month here. And so if you're standing on watch in 35, 40 degrees, you're standing on 40, 40 degrees outside. Uh, if it's snowing, you're outside. If it's freezing, you're outside. And if the winds and waves are going up and up like that, you're also on the sea. This is what uh, the daily reality of many seafarers, and it can make them leaving feeling vulnerable uh, at times, fearful, might. And maybe some of us are feeling like that at the moment, where we feel that you know, life has eaten away at our depth of faith. Some of the challenges, disappointments might have taken its toll. And again, I feel we're in good company because maybe at this point in our story, the disciples must have felt like that way. They show a very understandable, a very human response. And let's be honest, if you and I were in that situation, would we be asleep on a cushion or would we be trying to pour out water out of the ship as fast as we could? Would we be upset or would we be restless? Would we be angry with Jesus? I know I would. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I think what Jesus is actually saying here to his disciples, saying, don't worry, I've got your back because I deeply, deeply love you. I won't let you sink. Trust me. And so that is our third point, has to do with trust. Where's your faith? And fourthly and finally, and sorry, this is going slightly longer than I had planned, but thank you for your time. This is me coming, rounding off. This is fourthly, has to do with awe. Who is this? Who is this? And I just put, uh, this is at ECT Delta Terminal. It's uh, the largest container terminal in the port of Rotterdam. Uh, and that's, I think, 23 or 24 containers wide. That's probably as big as they get at the moment, a 400-meter container ship. Um, I had to take that on my phone with the wide-angle lens, otherwise I cannot, so the image is somewhat distorted, otherwise I cannot take it into one shot. So it just gives you a bit of an idea on how big these are. Um, and we've seen that now over the news that these type of ships can actually block a canal like that, unfortunately. Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obeyed him. And Matthew records for us, the men were amazed. And Luke of his recording records fear and amazement. And so the disciples had just witnessed something truly majestic, something truly amazing, as their seemingly hopeless situation of impending death was miraculously turned around. And what just happened, the 12 still didn't really understand at this point who Jesus truly was. 
And we see that in Mark's gospel, the mystery of who Jesus is continues right up until his death and resurrection and even beyond. And so the message translation puts it, they were in absolute awe. They were staggered. There was a real understanding that somehow the divine had met them in their teaching on this, in this boat on the Sea of Galilee. And so they ask the awe-inspired question, our fourth and final question, who is this? Who is this? Yeah, you ever experienced those moments that just sort of take your breath away where maybe we don't need to utter words, where you just, you've been to the south of France, you've experienced the mountains or maybe even Scotland, where you just go, oh, wow. It just takes your breath away. Something truly majestic happened here. And Mark recorded this crucial yet rhetorical question which is already answered right at the start of Mark chapter 1, verse 1. So the answer to who is this is already answered in the very first verse of the Gospel of Mark. Because we read the first verse of the Gospel of Mark, the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So it's good news, it's about Jesus who's the Messiah and he is the Son of God. The very first verse of Mark gives us what the next 16 chapters are about. Who is this invites a response of awe and faith, saying this is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. And the disciples' awe is further amplified by using the word even. Even the winds and the waves obeyed him. Even, oh, even the wind and the waves obey him. They had witnessed creation bowing down before Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Although at this point, they might not have fully realized who Jesus was. So seafarers get to travel the world, which is often the main motivation to become seafarer. Next to the main, the prime number one motivation is financial gain, the pay for many of the nationalities I mentioned earlier. They can earn more substantially more as a seafarer than in shore-based jobs in the Philippines, in Ukraine, Poland, Indonesia. And so a life of a seafarer gives them more money uh, to have security for their family back home. The tragedy, of course, is that if you're away for nine months out of 12 months of the year, yes, your family is well provided for, absolutely, but you hardly ever get to see them. And so the time your home the first thing you want to do is have some space for yourself. Your wife, your spouse is really keen to reconnect. You want to somewhat disconnect. Um, it's, it can leave for some fractured marriages at time. I think you, the divorce rate among seafarers is very high for not clear guidelines, understanding before you enter into this. It's a very different lifestyle. I could never do it. And so I have nothing but the greatest admiration for the 1.6 million men and women globally uh, on the 50,000 merchant ships who make this possible every day. And just think of this for a moment. 93% of all the world's goods travel via sea. Now my guess is that 90% of us here, if not 100, have a mobile phone in our pocket or in our purse. That arrived via sea. The clothes you're wearing arrived via sea. The car you drove to church tomorrow arrived via sea. The petrol in that car arrived via sea. The supermarkets would be empty if it wasn't for seafarers. 
And so we take so much of this for granted, or same-day delivery, those kind of things. It has a pressure on the logistical chain. And seafarers make this happen. And I often thank them when I'm on board for their service. Because, it, yes, the financial gain is usually quite good. Again, there are bad apples. But the financial gain is usually quite good. But it comes at personal sacrifice. Some of us might currently be feeling that we've lost that sense of awe and wonder for our creator God. And I believe, again, we're in good company that the disciples must have felt that same way at times. They were both amazed and afraid at what they just witnessed in this unfolding of this supernatural in front with, uh, event in front of them where Jesus utters these words and everything comes to a halt. But it must have fueled their faith. Where's your faith? Where's your trust? They witnessed this and it must have boosted their relationship with the Lord. And so that's our fourth and final question. Who is this? And as I conclude, and I'm literally, I'm nearly done, people. I'm nearly done. Thank you for bearing with me. Thank you again for your massive generosity, for the way that you, you contribute to the mission to seafarers. It makes a real difference. This Christian charity, we work in 200 ports worldwide, and we have a pleasure. I have the pleasure of ministering here in the port of Rotterdam with a team of volunteers, um, and I'm so grateful for your partnership. And so we've explored these four key questions that arise from this passage. As Jesus calms the storm, and just as Jesus offered love, hope, comfort, peace to his disciples during the raging storm, he offers the same to you and I and to our seafaring friends around the world. As we seek help, guidance, and direction in life, I would argue particularly now as we all deal with things in our life during this pandemic. But one verse I hadn't yet touched upon, which is easy to miss, and Matthew and Luke don't record it, but Mark records it, and it makes all the difference. Verse 36, there were also other boats with him. There were also other boats with him. What does this mean? Why did Mark want to put that little verse in? I believe it means two things. First of all, whatever seafarers are going through, whatever you and I are currently going through, we're not alone. There are other boats on the same lake. And secondly, and I would argue even more importantly, when Jesus calms the storm, my friends, it doesn't affect the disciples. The it doesn't just affect the disciples and the boat they're in. It affects all the boats on the lake. There were other boats with them. And so when Jesus calms the storm, it doesn't just mean that 12 fearful disciples drenched writing out their last will and suddenly everything changes. It changes for all the boats on the lake. Whatever you're going through at the moment, this is not an easy time for us. But whatever you're going through, God is with you. Jesus loves you. He will not let you drown. And he's with us. And he's with our seafaring friends around the world. Let me close with this quote from Louisa May. For those of you who are very good in 
literature, it's the author of the novel Little Women. She said, I'm not afraid of storms, for I'm learning how to sail my ship. As we honor and celebrate seafarers, may all of us look towards the captain of our ship, capital C, the Lord of our lives, as he helps us day after day after day to sail our ship. Amen.